The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. I'm a Democratic strategist and political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago and a contributor to The Hill in Washington, D.C. This is Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. My most recent contribution to The Hill is my take on the major impact three women, Nancy Pelosi, Elizabeth Warren, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have had on the race to replace Donald Trump. Check it out at muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon and share it if you dare. My company, Bannon Communications Research, pulls foreign designs, research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. My thanks to executive producer Mark Grimaldi, who keeps me in line and makes sure the trains run on time. Today, we'll discuss the Democratic presidential race. Our guest in the first half hour is Amy Parnas, national political correspondent for The Hill. In the second half hour, Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, joins our provocative progressive political panel with our own Mark Grimaldi. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-653. 7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today. Inquiring minds want to know Is Bernie back? What impact will Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's endorsement have on the fortunes of Bernie Sanders? Two, does Elizabeth Warren's refusal to say whether her Medicare for All financing plan? will raise taxes on the middle-class families, hurt her campaign. And third and finally, what impact have Hunter Biden's business interest in the Ukraine had on his father's presidential campaign? Our guest in this half hour is Amy Parnas, who covers presidential politics for the Hill. Amy, along with John Allen, are the authors of the number one New York Times bestseller on the 2016 presidential campaign called Shattered, Inside Hillary Clinton's Doom Campaign. She and John are working on a book on the 2020 campaign, which probably will be another bestseller. Amy, how are you doing today? 
I'm good. I hope it will be, Brad. You never know. <laughs> oh, I suspect it probably will be. I'd be willing to uh, bet some money on it. Um, okay, well, let's start with this. Uh, over the weekend, I you wrote an article about uh, Bur- about uh, Joe Biden's campaign and the storm clouds uh, that threatened the uh, former vice president's candidacy. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, for the last couple of months, at least, a lot of people have been sort of whispering my, in my ear and saying, you know, it's not his campaign is not the campaign that I thought it might be. Um, I'm a little disappointed. These donors aren't really lining up to back him. These are major Obama donors. Um, and so I started seeing kind of problem signs. Um, a little while ago. And then, of course, you know, the verbal flubs that he's been making, his fundraising has been not as good as his competitors, particularly Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. So I think, and even Bernie Sanders. So I think that, um, you know, a lot of people are starting to wonder if uh, the wheels are falling off the campaign. And if he doesn't do something pretty quickly, um, one Democratic strategist predicted that he's on kind of a downhill slide. And um, he he actually wondered, the, the question is, how quickly? Um, and, and so that seems a little doom and gloom. But I, I think that's where a lot of people think his campaign is right now. Well, one of the things I thought was striking is that uh, Joe Biden has about uh, $9 million uh, cash in hand, uh, which is a lot of money, but it's a heck of a lot less than uh, Mayor Pete or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders have, which I would think is a pretty troubling sign. Are the Biden people within the campaign concerned or they just think things are just humming along just great? I think publicly they're saying it's okay. We always expected a competitor to the left like Elizabeth Warren. And so they're kind of presenting sort of like a we knew this was going to happen kind of face. But I think privately when you talk to people, they are um, a little bit worried. I I don't think a lot of people saw Elizabeth Warren in particular coming. um, And and they're in a neck-and-neck race right now. And so I think that is troubling to a lot of people, and particularly people who write checks to these campaigns. Um, I talked to a lot of um, Biden fundraisers, and they're also kind of worried, which is why they gathered a couple weekends ago to kind of um, hear from the top brass of the campaign and talk a little bit about what they could do. And so I think they're all sort of feeling the pressure right now. Okay, and a related question. Uh, I just saw a uh, new Iowa poll that was uh, conducted for USA Today, and it showed uh, basically uh, Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden tied for the lead among Iowa Democratic caucus goers, uh, but Mayor Pete was uh, – only a few points behind. So I guess my question here is, uh, Mayor Pete um, a real player in this thing, or is it uh, basically a two-way race between uh, between uh, Biden and uh, Warren, in your opinion? I think 
could definitely be the dark horse in this race. I definitely think that um, the race right now is between Biden and Warren. But he, uh, the mayor had a very strong um, debate performance last week, and he's been his fundraising has been pretty remarkable. And so he's definitely kind of where you want to be right now going into Iowa. I think that he, a lot of people are giving him a second glance, especially if they, they feel like the former vice president is not doing as well. Um, a lot of people are saying, well, who is that person who can kind of replace him, be that moderate Democrat and fill that void? And so I think a lot of people are giving him a second look right now. And that's sort of what you're seeing happening and why he's climbing in the polls uh, the way he is. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to break now, but when we come back, we will have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon with our guest, Amy Parnas, national political reporter for The Hill. my inherent value as a human being that deserves health care, housing, education, and a living wage. When I was a baby, my family relied on Planned Parenthood for prenatal care. Then, Bernie Sanders fought for me. When I was growing up, and education was being gutted for kids in the quote-unquote wrong zip code, Bernie Sanders fought for us. When I was a child that relied on CHIP so that I could see a doctor, Bernie Sanders fought for a single-payer health care system. When the federal government decided to discriminate and abandon my queer family and friends, Bernie Sanders was putting his career on the line for us. When I was a waitress and when it was time for me to graduate college with student debt, Bernie Sanders was the, one of the only ones that said no person should be graduating with life-crushing debt at the start of their lives. Bernie Sanders did not do these things because they were popular. And that's what we need to remember. He did these, this, and he fought for these aims and these ends when they came at the highest political cost in America. No one wanted to question this system. And in 2016, he fundamentally changed politics in America. It's not just about standing up and saying these things, but behind closed doors, your arm is twisted. The vice pressure of political pressure gets put on you. And every trick in the book, psychological, 
and otherwise is used to get us to abandon the working class. And it is in, and it has been in that experience over the last nine months that I have grown to appreciate the enormous, consistent, and nonstop advocacy of Senator Bernie Sanders. That was uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez endorsing Bernie Sanders. Uh, This is uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon, and our guest in this half hour is Amy Parnas, uh, who covers presidential politics of the Hill and is a New York Times uh, best-selling author. Uh, Amy, uh, I think the big political story over the weekend was the big uh, Sanders rally in New York City on Saturday, where uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez uh, endorsed the senator. Uh okay. The uh, Senator Sanders has been in a distant third place in the national and state early state polls uh, behind uh, Biden and Warren. Uh, is the uh, Ocasio-Cortez endorsement enough to jumpstart the uh, Sanders candidacy? I think it definitely gives him a bit of a boost, Brad. I think that he sort of at a time when he needed it, because he, of course, a couple of weeks ago, the, the headlines around his heart attack and um, and all of that, and people, you know, were wondering, does a 78-year-old, can a 78-year-old really um, not only run for president, but can a 78-year-old be president or 79-year-old or 80-year-old? And so these are questions that continue to loom around his campaign, and I think that um, this congresswoman's endorsement, um, this popular congresswoman, um, it, it comes at the perfect time and definitely, definitely gives him a shot in the arm and um, and the boost he needed right now. I, I thought he had one of the best weeks um, so far in his campaign. He had a really good debate performance last week. And then, of course, they announced this right after that. So I think it, it was definitely will definitely help him in certain ways. Okay. Uh... The uh, one of the big stories, of course, in the last few weeks has been the President Trump's uh, infamous phone call to the president of Ukraine, uh, which apparently uh, the president's chief of staff, uh, Mick Milvoni, admitted uh, last late last week was a quid pro quo for an investigation into mm-hmm. uh, political corruption. Uh, And my question is, so far, has uh, the involvement of Joe Biden's son, Hunter, uh, in uh, his uh, Ukraine business dealings, has that uh, hurt the Biden campaign at all, in your opinion? It's I think it's still too early to see if it's hurting or helping him. Um, A lot of people think that it could help him. But I think. You know, one thing is clear. It's something that they don't want to be talking about. And they've had to be on defense uh, lately. A lot of people were kind of annoyed and irked that he hadn't really, because he was at the center of this debate, the whistleblower report, that he didn't really fight back and punch back at Trump hard enough. Um, That was something that Democrats were sort of looking for him to do, and he hadn't. I thought he answered the Hunter Biden question last week during the debate um, well and kind of put the fire out there. But I think 
A lot of, I think a lot of Democrats in particular are worried that this could be the equivalent of, of the Hillary email controversy, that this will be something that will dog his campaign throughout. And of course, um, President Trump is aiming to make it that. You know, he is the ultimate guy at uh, branding and gaslighting and all of that and all that. So I think that is definitely hurting him. And he's trying to, um, to, to basically damage Joe Biden uh, right up front. And of course, the Biden campaign is saying that's because, the you know, Trump and, and the people around him are very scared of candidacy. And so it, I think it's still too soon to say how this shakes out. Okay. Uh, I uh, read this morning, probably in The Hill, actually, that uh, uh, later this week, Elizabeth Warren is going to uh, explain exactly how she's going to finance her Medicare for All uh, campaign. Now, at the debate last week, uh, and this has been pretty consistent over the last few dates, uh, the moderator uh, directly asked Senator Warren whether her Medicare for All plan will raise taxes on middle class families. Uh, she has yet to be a direct, give a direct answer to that. Uh, and it, to me, uh, she sounds very evasive. And my guess is she would be better off doing what Senator Sanders does was to say, yes, it would raise taxes uh, on middle class families, but uh, it would the brunt of the cost for middle class health care would be borne by uh, wealthy Americans. But she has so far refused to say that. Is Does she sound evasive? Is, it, is that, you know, stance uh, hurting her, do you think? I think a little bit because um, you've seen people like Joe Biden even ask her point blank, well, how are you going to pay for this? This sounds very pie in the sky. Give us the specifics about this. And that's one thing that she's been really reluctant to do. And I think she this is this is sort of a pressure point for her. She knows that a lot of people this is this question has been raised now. A lot of people are focused on it. She will continue to hear more about it if she doesn't um, say something about it and, and boil down the specifics. So I think this is something she needed to do. I, I think that her support overall. OK, uh, Amy, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, That was Amy Parnas, uh, who covers presidential politics of the Hill. We'll be back with more of Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon after these messages. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Weekend Update. I'm Michael Che. I'm Colin Jost. Well, according to a Fox News poll, 51% of Americans support impeaching President Trump. And you know it's bad because Fox News barely talked about their own poll. I saw the poll all over MSNBC, and when I flipped over to Fox News, they were decorating cakes. (laughs) Meanwhile, on CNN, I saw this headline, Trump loses five court cases in one day as he distances himself from Giuliani, and then I couldn't read anymore. It's never good when there's so much bad news, CNN has to switch to a smaller font to fit it all. And it's definitely about to get worse for Trump because of these two Shreks. Two Soviet-born associates of Rudy Giuliani, Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas, who were somehow not killed by John Wick, were arrested were arrested at Dulles Airport in Washington for allegedly funneling Russian money to the Trump campaign. 
which, as you might have guessed, is very illegal. <laughs> Giuliani's two associates are also successful entrepreneurs. Igor, the handsome one, owns a club in Ukraine that's called Mafia Rave, which I think counts as a full confession. And then Lev, the shy one, owns a security business called, I swear to you, Fraud Guaranteed. And so my guarantee is that Trump is about to lose court case number six. First of all, bravo to the casting agency that found these two thumb breakers. They look like they use vodka as cologne. <laughs> these guys have definitely worn tracksuits to their daughter's wedding. I know these are easy jokes, but I'm just surprised that these guys were helping the president and not, I don't know, helping George Costanza get that frogger machine across the street. And how is Donald, and how is Donald Trump handling impeachment? Well, I would say not great based on what he did at his emotional support rally on Thursday. This is an actual headline about the rally. Trump appears to do bizarre impression of FBI agents having sex. And I thought, well, that's gotta be an exaggeration, right? Then I saw the clip. I love you, Peter. I love you too, Lisa. Lisa, I love you. Lisa, Lisa. Oh God, I love you, Lisa. First of all, he's killing. Like, the audience loves it. It's the point I'm actually jealous. That rally was like Showtime at the Apollo, except, you know, opposite. Also, the crowd is laughing along with this bit like they have any idea who these FBI agents are. I bet Trump's impression of those two agents is about as accurate as my impression of Pete Buttigieg. Democrats. Democrats are calling President Trump's behavior unconstitutional, to which Trump responded, you're right, I had no idea, and I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. You know that boy ain't right. <laughs> Say, you think after this whole impeachment thing is over, we can just take a year off from presidents? <laughs> I just to clear our heads a little, you know, and not rush into someone else horrible. Right now, my standards are so low, I saw Bernie Sanders have a heart attack, and I was like, maybe him? <laughs> he seems tough. I mean... We can afford a break, right, as a country. Don't we, why don't we take some of that old free cotton money and coast for a while till we get our groove back? Trump then explained withdrawing troops from northern Syria, saying that we didn't need to defend our Kurdish allies because, quote, they didn't help us in World War II. But with World War II, it's kind of hard to know who Trump means by us. <laughs> Those, of course, were the late-night comics. And we're back with Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. When news breaks, we fix it here on Deadline DC. As usual in the second half hour, it's time for a provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Kimberly Scott. Uh, Kim is the publisher of Demlist, an inf informative daily political column on the issues, politics, and the players. Demlist will also be home to the 2020 convention calendar, which will launch uh, this year. Uh, if you want to sign up to Demlist, uh, you, can, uh, you can sign up at www.demlist.com or follow on Facebook and Twitter at Demlist. Welcome to the panel, Kim. 
And joining us on the panel today, as usual, is our own executive producer and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Let's start with Kim today. Uh, Kim, you had the good fortune to be at the uh, nationally televised Democratic debate last week. Tell us uh, what it's like to be behind the scenes. I'm sure many of our listeners saw the debate, but uh, they probably don't know much about what it's like behind the scenes. So please tell us. Uh, It was actually incredibly exciting. Um, Amazingly, in all these years of doing politics, I've never been to a debate itself. Uh, it was at Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio. CNN was the host. Uh, they did an incredible job from a production standpoint as far as the stage goes. Not so much, I think, from the perspective of moderating. Uh, but the uh, the audience is made up of people from uh, you know students to donors to party. Uh, players. It was uh, organized by the Democratic National Committee and the Ohio Democratic Party. So it's, it's almost like old home week in some ways. You know, you'd see people you hadn't seen for years. You had uh, not just the the um, press on the outskirts of the room, but you know, every time you turned around, you know, Jill Biden walked by, or uh, Senator Coons, or uh, John Meacham, or you know, or a major donor. And so it's just a very, it's a very different perspective to see hands-on. And even if you've seen the candidate speak in person, which we've all had the fortunate to do many times, it's nothing like the power of seeing all of them up on stage, and in this case, about 20 feet away. Okay, well, that sounds, I'll often try to get to one of these things. It sounds uh, very interesting uh, to see what's going on uh, behind the uh, national televised portion. Uh, Mark, in the first half hour, we talked to uh, Amy Parnas from The Hill, and I asked her, uh, is uh, uh, the endorsement that Bernie Sanders received from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez enough to uh, jumpstart the uh, lagging Bernie Sanders campaign? What do you think? I, I do. Um, I think that, you know, he's he's got an opportunity here with the other thing that you and Amy talked about last hour is not just coincidentally mentioned, I think, but tied to it, which is, um, potentially Joe Biden's campaign, Vice President Biden's campaign, uh, having a little bit of trouble in the polls and having some trouble gaining ground or uh, or making ground back up, I guess I should say, from where he had been. And right now, after the last debate, it looks like uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg has taken some of that oxygen out of the room uh, for his campaign. But I also think that there's a big opportunity for Bernie to get a surge in the polls, especially when you couple it with, which was mentioned, his good debate performance and not only getting um, Representative Ocasio-Cortez's endorsement, but also getting the endorsement of Representative Ilhan Omar. And he'll be joined uh, this week at an event by Representative um, Rashida Tlaib, 
which are three of the, are three of the four members of the the squad, which are very very popular um, in democratic politics um, and all very powerful women. Um, so all of these things, I think, uh, are a very positive uh, development for Senator Sanders' campaign. And I mean, he's got a lot of cash on hand that he's. Uh, He's gotten um, from a lot of small individual donors. Um, he's not been taking PAC money. And as was mentioned in the clip from AOC, that's something that he took a stand on, um, you know, a long time ago. So he's got all the right things in order here. Now it's just a matter of seeing if it all clicks. But I think um, they put their ducks in a row nicely for his campaign coming up uh, to this moment, I believe. Okay. Uh, I'm little, Kim. I'm a little more skeptical. Uh, okay. You know, Sanders came into this race with an enormous grassroots infrastructure and following that he has been building on consistently for the last four years. There's no question that he has those numbers. And the same, and they're also loyal in contributing as well. I mean, he topped for the third quarter fundraising results. He, once again, topped... Uh, the rest of the candidates with 25.3 million raised. I mean, Warren wasn't far behind him, um, but it judged then Biden. But um, it doesn't seem to be translating to the polls. You know, the uh, New Suffolk University poll just came out. Uh, granted, it was prior to the rally of 26,000 people who showed up for AOC's endorsement of Sanders in New York. But you know, at a Biden at 18, Warren at 17, Budget at 13, and Sanders at nine. Uh, he is uh, he is failing to make up that ground, um, and I don't I don't see it happening. Well, I can uh, definitely see uh, why it was so important for uh, Senator Sanders to get AOC's endorsement. Uh, last month, uh, in a poll that was done by NBC News and the Wall Street Journal, uh, Elizabeth Warren had a uh, two-to-one lead among liberal voters over Senator Sanders. Uh, and in a, a poll uh, that uh, CNN and the Des Moines Register did among uh, uh, Democratic caucus goers in Iowa last month, uh, among people who said they had a uh, caucus for Senator Sanders in 2016, uh, Elizabeth Warren actually had a uh, 23 to 16 lead among people who caucus for Senator Sanders in 2016. So uh, the jury's still out on the power of the endorsement, but Senator Sanders certainly needed it. We're going to go to break now. When we come back, we will rejoin our provocative progressive political panel uh, with Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, and our own Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We're in the middle of our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, today on the panel, we have uh, Kimberly Scott, who is the publisher of Demlist, and our own Mark Romaldi uh, joining us to discuss the issues of the day. 
just before we went on air, I saw a new survey of Democrats in Iowa that was uh, conducted for USA Today. And it showed that uh, Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden were in a statistical tie for first place uh, in uh, Iowa. Uh, Mayor Pete was only a few points behind uh, the two front runners, and Bernie Sanders was a few points behind Mayor Pete. And so my question is, uh, he really hasn't registered in the national polls yet, uh, but it seems that uh, Mayor Pete is a, a big player in Iowa, and my guess is if he made a strong showing in Iowa, he uh, could uh, be a real player uh, in the Democratic race uh, throughout the whole process. So uh, let me uh, ask you first, Mark, what do you make of the new Iowa numbers? Uh, I think that it follows, um, you know, a lot of work that Mayor Pete has done on the ground in Iowa, as well as, you know, he's he's stayed right with a lot of the fundraising numbers of the other top candidates. And I always, you know, every time I see him speak, I'm struck at at you know how well uh, he's done and how well he presents himself as a veteran. I thought he did a great job at the LGBTQ uh, town hall that CNN uh, held, and I also you know find him to be a very persuasive um, young voice, which I think you know obviously con- contrasts uh, very strongly against the other three top candidates you mentioned. Um, being Vice President Biden and then Senators Warren and Sanders, who are all in their 70s. So I do think that, you know, those are some powerful uh, things he has in his favor, as well as being a veteran. He has a lot going for him. Uh, I do think that a a strong showing in Iowa would help him uh, potentially register higher on the national uh, polling. I also think that the approach that he's taking um, was similar to the approach that Senator Klobuchar was taking in the last debate, which was going after Senator Warren, the, the front runner heading into that debate, regarding uh, her Medicare for All plan. And I do think that carries uh, benefits and risks with it because it's a very popular proposal uh, amongst Democratic voters uh, in the primary. And I think that. You know, taking a logical approach to it and just saying, well, I just want to know how your plan is going to work, uh, you know, is one thing. And I I don't think that that would really hurt him. Um, But I also think there are some Democratic voters who are not, uh, you know, all the way for Medicare for all. You know, they want to see the Affordable Care Act strengthened, um, or as Mayor Pete has said, you know, his plan is Medicare for all who want it, um, to which Senator Warren has, you know, retorted, well, that means the way that's going to work is Medicare for all who can afford it. So I think it it opens up a bigger um, debate, which is the debate for Medicare for all within the Democratic Party, um, which I think is really the the big issue in my mind that is separating a lot of these candidates so far in the debates. And I think that's going to also reflect how well he does not only in Iowa, but in the national polls. I, I think that's going to be a very big issue going forward. 
Okay, Kim, what about you? Do you think uh, Mayor Pete is a major player in the fight for the Democratic presidential nomination? He absolutely is one now. Um, the numbers I mentioned, the Suffolk University poll, were, were actually was actually an Iowa caucus color poll. And the fact that he has searched past Sanders, and he, it's actually a seven-point jump from, from Mayor Pete since last June. You know, he did very well in the debate, and that's reflected in every poll. He successfully attacked Warren on her plan, uh, which, again, is a central issue for, well, all Americans, but particularly Democratic primary goers. And he was successful in attacking her very aggressively. It just wasn't about, as he, as he did a number of different times. You know, his, his now famous line, uh, following Warren's comments about both the Medicare for All plan and her wealth tax, and uh, and his criticism that she, as he said, your signature senator is to have a plan for everything except this, and that goes to the same issue that most of her competitors have attacked her on, and that is that she has not laid out how the, her Medicare for All plan will be paid for. Sanders has said. There will be a, a raise in taxes, but this is the one area where Warren has not been nailed down, and and Mayor Pete was very effective uh, in in going after on stage. Uh, you know, part of this is a, a part of him trying to present himself as an alternative to Biden as far as more moderate voters go as well. Uh, but and he also has. The money, as noted before, he's he did very well this last time. He raised nineteen point one million in the third quarter. Um, he is in it to stay through Iowa, and we know from history that Iowa can definitely boost a candidacy and and change the dynamics of the field. Okay, let me ask you this, Kim, to close. Uh, is this a two-way race between uh, Joe Biden? Uh, and Elizabeth Warren, or is it still a four-way race uh, with Warren, Biden, uh, Mayor Pete, and uh, Bernie Sanders? I'm not willing to say it is just a two-way race yet, but if, you know, the numbers continue in the manner that they do, then um, then Buttigieg and Sanders can begin may begin to see a big divide in those numbers. Um, I do think that that Harris is now number five between Buttigieg, uh, and perhaps now more at the top of the list for potential VP candidate. Okay, Mark. Uh, I think that it remains to be seen. I, I don't think you can really say that until we see Iowa and New Hampshire, to be frank, based on past uh, performances of candidates. And I think uh, until then, anybody who says that is, is kind of throwing darts in my mind. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I, I say that's it for today's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I want to thank our guest, uh, Amy Parnas from The Hill. Kimberly Scott, a publisher of Demless, and our own executive producer, Mark Bamaldi. That's all for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon for today. I'm here every Monday at 3 p.m. if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise, unless Donald Trump declares martial law, that is. Talk to you next week. <laughs>